This morning we are in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8, verse through 22. As I mentioned before, this chapter is uh, what is known as the Hall of Faith. It's really a walk down memory lane at those in the Old Testament who are living by faith. And the author wants to show us who these people are, not so that we build some trophy case and have a monument built to them, uh, sort of like, you know, Yankee Stadium. Um, Speaking of baseballs here, I'm glad. And just have everyone's name on it because there's only one hero in Scripture. And his name is Jesus. Really easy, right? He lays out this list of people who endured hardship, who remained faithful so that they, the author, uh, the recipients of this letter, and we can today keep our eyes on the object of our faith. And again, his name is Jesus. Romans, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8. Hear the word of God. 11.8. By faith. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, verse 11, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who seek, excuse me, for people who speak, thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise up from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau, Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Verse 22 to close. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. He got out a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. I hope you're not getting tired of hearing me saying the same old thing, but I'm going to say it again. The purpose of this letter, you should be able to fill in the blanks, is to declare the supremacy, sufficiency, and superiority of Christ. It was written to exhort the people in that day and to exhort us today to stay faithful, to remain faithful, not to go back to the old ways in relating to God and communing with God, but to continue in the faith. To persevere, 
particularly in the midst of persecution as this letter was written. Christ has been proven to be better than angels and Moses and Joshua, the promised land, old covenant, and the Old Testament priests. And now as we move into chapter 11, I want you to remember chapter 10, verse 39, very important, where the author encourages congregation after a severe warning not to fall back, not to, to apostate, not to go back and to leave Christ. He says, verse 39 of chapter 10, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We're not those who commit apostasy and walk away, turn our back on Christ. But we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls, persevere on, persevere on. Genuine believers press on. Genuine believers persevere in the faith. And when I think of perseverance, I'm reminded of, of the words that Paul wrote to the Colossian church, chapter 1, verse 21. He said, and you, plural, y'all, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, that was me, thinking whatever I wanted and was not thinking about the things of God, doing evil deeds, sinning against God. Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. We've been reconciled. In order to present you holy and blameless, it's not us, it's all about Jesus, and above reproach, before the throne of God. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Genuine children of God will continue. They will keep their faith. They won't shift. They won't turn from the hope of the gospel. And now we're not talking about perfection, amen? Right? But we're talking about a clinging to. We're talking about having faith in the person and work of Christ until the very end. We're going to look at a lot about that today. So the New Testament saints, that includes us, place our faith in all that Christ has done on the cross, dying for our sins, rising from the dead. And the saints of old, which we'll see them today, place their faith in Christ as well through the types, through the shadows, the foreshadowing promises of the Old Testament that point to the Messiah. He's the inaugurator of the new covenant and he's been seen throughout the Old Testament. In fact, the book of Hebrews has been just wonderful in, in teaching us how to read the Old Testament through Christological glasses, to, to see the Old Testament through the person and work of Christ. And faith has been and will always be Old and New Testament, the means, the vehicle, the ways in which women, children, and men and women and children become right with God, become just with God, is by faith. It is the way in which we receive the eternal benefits of the gospel, is by faith. Chapter 11, verse 6, Noah became an heir of the righteousness, being right with God, not by his own moral deeds or anything he's done, but by faith. Chapter 11, verse 6. And we'll see this morning that Abraham, it's, it's, a, lot of, a lot of this morning's text will de- deal with Abraham. So we'll stay on Abraham for a while, then we'll, we'll go through the rest of the, of the chapter. But Abraham is, is the main theme. And it says in chapter 15, verse 6 of Genesis that he also believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness too. So we, we see this work of faith. We see this work of trusting God. I've said this before. Um, you know, the, the main theme of the Bible is Jesus But if I had to pick a second theme, it would be trust. Trusting God. So here's our simple outline, really. 
the promise proclaimed. We're going to look at the promise that God made to Abraham. The place that's been, been prepared or being prepared, really. And then finally, we'll look at the patriarch's uh, perseverance. Okay? So look with me in chapter 11, verse 8. We see the promise. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And a lot of you guys are thinking, that happens to me all the time. (laughs) I'm on my way, I have no idea. And the wife's going, I'm so glad we have GPS. There's no argument anymore. Just hit the button, go, right? We learned last week that, although it's not an exhaustive definition of faith, here we see Abraham faith. We we learn that faith is what? Chapter uh, 11, verse 1. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Biblical faith is trusting in God, who God is, what God has promised, and it's a hope, not the hope that you maybe have, but there's a hope for believers who have faith in God of something we know will happen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is a confident attitude toward the things in which God has said, in which God has promised will happen. It's the conviction of things not seen. Paul told uh, the church to walk by faith and not by sight. French theologian, see if I get this right, Celsus Spig, I think that's how you say it. Faith is a guarantee of the heavenly realities for which we hope. Not only does it render them certain for us, but it, but it conceives them as rightfully belonging to us. It is in itself an objective assurance of our definite enjoyment of them. Objective assurance of our definite enjoyment of them. I like that, end quote. We're told that that kind of faith in God, chapter 11, verse 6, without that kind of faith, it's impossible to please Him. Chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. In order to please God, walk with God, we talked about it last week, you must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him with the reward of his personal presence. That God reveals himself to us after we seek, when we seek after him with our whole heart and mind and strength. Keep that in mind. When we think about Abraham's faith and obedience and the promise that God made to him, although at that moment God called Abraham, he didn't know, he didn't see, but he went. We find the story in Genesis 12. Actually, Abraham goes from Genesis 12 to Genesis 25. And the the significance of Abraham in the Old Testament to the Jewish people, which this letter is written to, can't be overstated. Okay? Now, God made a promise in Genesis 3 when sin entered the world that he would send the Messiah, the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel. But we see this greater reality that God was going to send a Savior, someone who would take care of sin, forgive sin, crush the enemy's head in Genesis 3. And we see this covenant that God made with Abraham made, made more clear of the Messiah who was to come. And that God called Abraham in chapter 12 by grace alone. And our salvation, even this morning as as children of the New Testament, rests in part on God's faithfulness, rests in part on God's faithfulness to Abraham. Paul the Apostle gives Abraham this important designation as the father of all who believe. Father Abraham had many sons, right? Many sons had father Abraham. 
and so are you. Let's all praise the Lord. Left arm, right arm, okay. Abraham was first mentioned in Scripture, Genesis 15, as being imputed the righteousness of Christ. Chapter 15, verse 6, by faith. The Apostle Paul speaks to him as a model of faith. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, Paul lays out this uh, uh, justification by faith, and he, what does he do in chapter 4? He proves his position that we are justified by faith through Abraham. We studied Galatians together not long ago. We talked a lot about Paul's strong exhortation about Abraham and his faith. James calls him, because of Abraham's faith, uh, uh, God's friend, the friend of God, chapter 2, verse 23. So Abraham, if you don't know the story really quickly, Abraham's in the land of Ur, He's with his father, the land of Ur is by the Euphrates River, southern Iraq today. And it was a place of cult worship, pagan worship, moon worship, actually. So Abraham's a pagan, worshiping false gods. And God, in his grace alone, calls him out of false worship, out of pagan worship, to worship the one and true God. And God comes to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis and says to him, Abraham... Go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, leave everything, to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's a call to leave. It was a call to depart. It was a call to move out in faith. And God was directly telling him, but he wasn't, he was like, listen, I want you to go, but I'm not going to tell you where. Just listen to me. When the call of God comes on our life, when, when, the, when the call of God comes on our life to respond to the gospel, as Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel, it doesn't leave you where you are. It doesn't leave you where you are. It doesn't leave you in the place where you are. It, it never keeps you the place in which it found you. Because now you're going in a different direction. Jesus said, come and follow me. He's call, Abraham's call, Abram at the time, to leave the comfortable, to leave the places that were familiar, to leave your country, your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your family, the guys you hang out with and eat wings and watch games. Leave it all. Go to the land I will show you. I'm not going to tell you. It's sort of like getting a job offer, right? Oh, yeah, I'll accept that offer. Where is it? We're not going to tell you. Yes or no. And we actually have a house for you as well. How many people would go, all right, yeah, whatever. Abraham obeyed. Notice that. That's faith. It is a call to substitute the known for the unknown, to believe and trust God. How old was Abraham when he got the call? Anybody know? 75. I'm thinking 75, I hear the call, it's southern Florida. I was in Aruba, I called, last time I was there, I told Chris and Ricky, I, I heard clearly the voice of God to plant a church here. God tells Abraham, listen, leave all that represents your security, your identity, all the things you are holding on to. It's, it's not about the things you have. What you ultimately need is me. 
That's what God is telling. And it's the call of God, the call of the gospel. It's not a call to, to add some, some religious elements, some religious aspects of an existing agenda in my life. The call of the gospel is a whole new agenda, a whole new life, a whole new paradigm. It's a call to surrender. A call to come out of trusting in yourself, trusting in the things you have. In the things seen, it's about letting go and trusting in Christ. By faith, verse 9, Abraham went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He was a sojourner in the land that would be his. That's what Hebrews 11 is about. Faith is the evidence, the possession of things not yet seen. There are many promises that God has made to you and to me, I'm sure, that have been fulfilled in your life. But like us, Abraham received the promise by faith. He lived upon the promise since it was not yet realized. And I think there are many things in our lives that have not been yet realized that God is saying, listen, trust me. I mean, even when he had children, he's still living as a soldier. And look, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. God promised him the life. You know the story. He never got the property. He got a little piece for his wife to bury his wife in Canaan. That's all he got. He lived his entire life as a foreigner in the promised land. But by faith, he saw something that was coming, never saw it fulfilled in those promises. He never saw his descendants like the, like the stars of the sky or the sand on the, on, the, on, the, on the sea. But he had faith. He was looking. Look at verse 10. He was looking, word, looking in, in, in the original, was intensely. He was intently looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. That's interesting. The city that God built is not like the cities of today that are ransacked, that come and go. But the city that God is building is an eternal city. It is entirely secure. It's, it's, it's undestroyable. It's unshakable. Chapter 12, verse 28, when we get there, we'll read this. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Now, if you remember in chapter 4, the author was talking about rest. And he says, you know what? When Joshua entered the promised land, the people were to, as far as they're concerned, earthly understanding, they were to rest in that land. But there really was never a rest. There was never, they were never really resting. Even though they had entered the promised land. Now he's saying that Abraham, although he had was promised by God that he was going to get some real estate, that the land was going to be possessed, that he was going to have the land for his people. He was promised earthly real estate, but his eyes were on a well-established truth that God has an eternal city, not just the seen city of which he was walking into in the land of which he went to, but something in the future. The faith that seized Abraham's patience was his hope in the ultimate fulfillment in the promises of God. When you need to be patient, I'm not very patient. Don't ask my wife. Are we resting in the promise of God? Not passive, it's active, waiting, trusting in God. He was going into the promised land that was given to him, but he was looking for the, for the new city. 
He was hoping on the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Looking beyond the natural to the unseen. Verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. And even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. The author now brings together Abraham, the faith of Abraham, and, of, and Sarah. Now, there's a lot of debate. I made a copy of it. There's a debate on who's the subject of that sentence. So if you have an NIV, this is what you read in the NIV. By faith, this is chapter, verse 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful. So that there's an argument about who is the subject of this verse. You can see the NIV says it was Abraham. ESV kind of leans toward the mother. The problem in that verse, just so you know, the word power to conceive has to do with the father's part of reproduction. It's about this depositing the seed, not the mother. So as I did a lot of research, I got to the point, I'm like, you know what? I think the point is easy to read. It was Abraham and Sarah were called to look past their circumstances of, not, of being fatherless and childless and their current age and to trust God, that God would give them a promise because he considered him faithful who had promised. Like Sarah was just as much involved in the promise, right? And the women are like, yeah, no kidding. So, and you know, what's interesting is in Genesis, we read the story in Genesis, uh, Sarah was 90, uh, Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born, the promise, right? But what you read is when, when God came to Sarah, or God came to them, Sarah did what? She laughed. Yeah, okay, 90 years old. Sure. Tomorrow. But what I think the author is doing is showing them and showing us that even though she was past the age she conceived, her and her husband at some point, at some point came to the place where their confidence was renewed in her faithful God. And you think, well, it doesn't, you know, she laughed. But I, I, you know, I, like, like I said before, before we judge, let's relate. Who among us does not doubt at times, Right? Who among us does not have some really bad days where our faith is completely pitiful? If that's you, you're lying. I'll go back to the Ten Commandments, right? We all had those days, right? We don't want to be judged by one bad day, do we? I don't. Sarah had a rough day. Hebrews tells us she had faith. Hebrews tells us Abraham had faith. Verse 12, therefore, from one man, Abraham, as good as dead, he's a hundred, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Again, the promise of God comes to Abraham. We see it throughout Genesis 12, 15, 17, on and on. In chapter 15, Abraham was given the promise in chapter 12, still has no son. And he says to God, listen, not for nothing, but I, I continue to be without a child. I guess the heir of my house is going to be Eleazar of Damascus. 
Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household is going to have to be my heir. Since, since the promise that you made, I'm 100 and we have no son. It's been 25 years. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Like, don't tell me, Abraham. I'm telling you, I'm God, you're not. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven, the number of the stars, if you are able to number them. Can you imagine? He says, so shall your offspring be. And then it says, very important, and he, Abraham, believed the Lord, faith in God, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. Sarah and his wife believed God. They were trusting in what they could not see, believing that God would give them Isaac. And even the number of descendants, Abraham never got to see either. But God had promised Abraham there will be a land. You will have a large lineage. And the Lord himself who will come and bless the whole world will come from your loins. And that promise we know ultimately led to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, every Jewish person that was born physically is a descendant of Abraham. But what did we learn in Galatians? Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 says, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The spiritual descendants of Abraham are like the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. So family, listen. Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. And what did, God, what did Abraham do? He moved out in obedience. His faith led to obedience. Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God even when he blew it. And he had some bad days. Abraham believed the promises of God. Now let me ask you a question before we leave this point. What promises of God today, this morning, right now, do you need to stand on? What act of faith needs to be lived out in your life? Maybe maybe you're trying to find meaning, to find purpose through wrong systems like jobs, like, like kids, like spouses, like girlfriends, boyfriends, anything else other than finding your full satisfaction, your identity in Christ. Maybe, maybe you know what God has said and declared about forgiveness, but you have not moved on and done it. If the will of God is clear, listen, walk by faith. Walk by faith. Trust the goodness of God. Trust that God would never give you a command, would never ask you to do anything that isn't for his glory and your good. For his glory and your good, as a child of God, in, by faith alone, God is for you, not against you. Okay? The promise proclaimed. Look at the place, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged them, acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people, verse 14, who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Now, I've done, I've done plenty of funerals in my day. I, I guess you could probably say one funeral is probably too many, right? But I could tell you the difference between those who have walked by faith, lived by faith, and died by faith, than those who had no faith. 
I suppose the final, I guess you could say that death is the final eternal test of faith. And what our author is doing is he's reaching back as far as Abel that we looked at last week. We said, these all passed with flying colors. They lived by faith up to the very last breath. And the encouraging message about their death is that they died in faith, though they never received, that's what it says, the completeness or never seen all the promises that God had promised. The reason they did that is they were trusting God in the unseen, knowing that God fulfills what he says he's going to do. They lived trusting God to keep his promises, and they died trusting those promises that God will fulfill them. And it's one thing to live by faith, but I'll tell you what, it's another thing to be facing death and live by faith. And like it says here, living as strangers and exiles on the earth. That's what he's talking about. Living, looking for a homeland. I mean, think about this for a minute. And you guys could discuss this in your community groups as you gather together. What would life be like for you today? What changes need to be made in your life if you really lived as if this is temporary? Short-lived compared to eternity. What changes would you make? What kind of generosity would you demonstrate? I mean, I'm all for saving, okay? You ever hear the, you ever hear the uh, statement or this phrase, uh, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good? What if you were so heavenly minded, you were very earthly good, right? Radically earthly good. What if you were so focused on the promise that God's going to give in the future because of Christ, because of the empty tomb, because of eternity with him, that you were radically good on earth? Doing things like forgiving right away, not holding grudges, showing greater hospitality, demonstrating love and good deeds, Growing in faith, trusting in the promises of our eternal home, releases, listen, releases the things of this world and it looks to the things of the next. One of the reasons why, and you all know this, I hate the prosperity gospel. They have it backwards. Get all the health you can. Get all the wealth you can. Get all those promises of of things that are seen today. If you're growing in faith, you know what you're doing? You're letting that stuff go. They become less important, not more important. All right, sorry, a tangent. <laughs> Crazy. Verse 15. For if they had been thinking of that land from which they came, which they had gone out, the actual physical land, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Now, remember the context of the the letter. Supremacy of Christ, exhortation, not to go back to old ways, not to to look to relate to God, to communion with God through the old covenant ways, but the new covenant shed in the blood of Jesus. Remember, don't shrink back, verse 39. Don't be destroyed, persevere. Encouraging words, don't look back. And he said, look, if the patriarchs had kept looking back to the land... If they wanted that which was physical, they would never have maintained their faith in the unseen into God himself until their death. They would have been looking to go back. But don't go back. 
I mean, nobody prevented Abraham. Abraham could have went back to the land of Ur, to the land of Haran, but he had faith in God's promise, kept him moving in faith. God's people don't look back. They look forward. They're convinced of the promises. Now, in verse 16, there's our word, by the way. The word better, verse 16, kreton, right? Jesus is better. That's what, our, that's what our series is called, Jesus is better. And what the author is saying is the patriarchs looked for a better city. Patriarchs looked for a better country because everything is infinitely better in Christ, right? They, they were settled, they were convinced of the faithfulness of God. And catch this, they not only longed for the, for the land, which they did, but more importantly, they were longing for the heavenly country, verse 16b promise of God therefore because of this because they didn't look back they didn't go back they weren't stuck on the scene they were looking to the unseen the promise of God verse 16b says therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God God is not ashamed did you catch that God is not ashamed to be called their God for he God has prepared for them a city he has prepared how awesome is that The holy God, the God of all grace, the sovereign God of all the world is not ashamed of those who trust him, who sojourn in this world, knowing that something better is to come, he calls them their God. Now, I read a story this week, very interesting. After 40 years of ministry, mission global partners, we call him here, a missionary in Africa, a man by the name of Henry Morrison, after 40 years in Africa, came home to New York with his wife. And the story goes this, as the ship was about to dock, Henry said to his wife as they were coming home, look at the crowd, there's a big crowd there. They haven't forgotten us. However, unknown to Henry, the ship also carried with them President Teddy Roosevelt returning from a big game hunting trip in Africa. And Roosevelt stepped off the boat, it was a great fanfare, people were cheering, flags were wavering, bands were playing, reporters came and were making all kinds of comments, and, Harry and Henry and his wife quietly on their way home unnoticed, got a cab, uh, and went to an apartment that was provided for them by the mission board. But as I read this story, it went on to say that over the next few weeks, I mean, try to put yourself in this guy's position for a minute, right? Again, before we judge, before, uh, before we judge let's relate. Henry tried but failed to put the incident behind him. He was sinking at depression and finally said to his wife, this is all wrong. The man comes back from a hunting trip. They throw a party. We give our lives to service for 40 years in Africa. No one seems to care. His wife cautioned him that he should not feel this way. And Henry replied, I know, but I just can't help it. It just isn't right. His wife then said, smart woman, wise woman, Henry, you know, God doesn't mind if we are honestly seeking him or questioning him. You need to tell this to the Lord and get this settled now. And then she says this, so important. You'll be useless in ministry until you do. You can't build his kingdom in your kingdom. It can't happen. Henry went into the bathroom, got on his knees, and Lord, you know the situation, what's troubling me. We served you gladly for years without complaining, but now, God, I just can't get this incident out of my mind. Ten minutes of prayer, he said he came out of the living room, and with a peaceful look on his face, his wife said, I see you resolved the matter with the Lord. What happened? And Henry replied this. He said, the Lord settled it for me. I told him how bitter I was about the president receiving this tremendous homecoming, but no one even met us as we returned home. When I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, but Henry, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. 
I don't usually quote from the message, the Bible, the message. If you love it, sorry. But anyway, but this is cute. 1 Peter 2.11, this, this is what Eugene Peterson writes. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. The place prepared. By faith, the patriarch's perseverance. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said of this son, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, the story of Abraham going up to, to, to Mount Moriah in Genesis 22, probably one of the most well-known stories in the Old Testament, right? Mount Moriah, by the way, is the vicinity of Jerusalem which is interesting, where the sacrifice was going to take place. This is the very place where Jerusalem would be set up and sacrifices would take place. In Genesis 22, God says this to Abraham, very interesting in this story, what he's talking about. He says this, Abraham, catch these words, take your son, your only son, just in case you missed that, take your son, your only son, whom you love. There's an indication. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Again, go. I'm not telling you where. I just head in that direction. When you get there, I'll let you know. And, and, and Abraham, in faith, persevering in his faith, went. Obeyed. That's what men and women do. When they hear the voice of God. They know that God is calling them, and they go. And this was a matter of devotion. He said, your son, your only son, the one whom you love, you know, the one that you have your hopes in, the one that now you've gotten your eyes off of me and they're on your son. Who who are you gonna trust in? Who are you gonna have faith in? Go and bring him up. As much as you love your son, God's telling him, you must love me more. That's a sermon all by itself right there. Take him up to the mountain, sacrifice. And what did he do? He obeyed. God had made a great and, and promise to Abraham, possessing the land, offering it like the sea uh, and the, uh, the sand of the seashore. All the nations will be fulfilled through this one's offspring, Isaac, whom God commanded him now to sacrifice. Genesis chapter 22, it's online. We preached through it. I don't have time to get into that because some of you are thinking, that's kind of crazy. And we don't understand what was going on in that day. Culturally speaking, we get into it in Genesis 22. I'm not going to do it today. Let me just say this, that God repeatedly says in the Old Testament that the life of the firstborn belongs to him and the life of your firstborn son must be redeemed. A sacrifice, a payment must be paid. And God supplies and allows the Old Testament people in the sacrifice system to give shekels of silver for the firstborn. In other words, you must buy back the firstborn because it belongs to me. What God is teaching the people of Israel, he taught him about the Passover as well, is that every sin, every family owes a debt because of their sin. And the firstborn is the picture and the person of that sin debt. So when Abraham was called, bring your firstborn up to the mountain, he knew that God is a God of justice and God was calling in his sin debt. 
Abraham understood that. The ancients understood that. If God had said, bring your daughter, he didn't have a daughter, bring your daughter, bring your wife, or bring someone else, Abraham would have said, man, I drank too much last night because I'm hearing all kinds of things. But because it was the firstborn, Abraham straps up his boy, straps up, excuse me, saddles up his donkey, cuts some wood, puts it on his son's back, up to the mountain they go. He tells the servants who are along with him, we're going to worship, we'll be back. Isaac gets halfway up, looks around, says, man, we got wood. You got your dagger. Brought his knife with him. Everything ready for sacrifice. Hey, pops, where's the animal? What does Abraham say to Isaac? God will provide the lamb, right? God will provide the lamb. And we know how the story ended, right? Abraham went to sacrifice his son to show God, my trust is in you. Your command was, take him to sacrifice. Your promise was, my son will be the heir. Kind of contradictory, right? But I'm going to obey. I'm going I'm to do what you've asked me to do. Abraham says, listen, God will provide the lamb in Genesis. And here in, in, in verse 19 of our text, it said that God, that Abraham could say that God was able to raise him from the dead. Either way, you're going to have to figure this out, Lord. You're giving me this promise and you're giving me this command. I'm trusting you, listen, with the results. I don't know how you're going to do that. Supply a lamb, raise him from the dead. Either way, you are a powerful, creative, all-knowing God. I'm going to trust you. And by faith, Abraham was leaving the outcome to the greatness and the power of God. God would do what he said he would do. What Abraham needed to do was be singularly devoted to Christ, to God. Dr. Richard Phillips said this about this text. It's a little bit long, but just hear this. Hear me out. This is great. He says this about the devotion of Abraham. This is what he said. He said, we can expect God to test our devotions to him in great and small ways. We will be challenged to sacrifice or subordinate our careers to his will. Or perhaps it will be a relationship that is dear to us, but that cannot abide with our higher devotion to Christ. It may be money. It may be a certain self-image or a lifestyle. It could be practically anything God tests our faith in terms of our willingness to sacrifice for him. And in this manner, he also protects us, listen, from idolatry to which our hearts are so inherently prone. Even good things he has given us, such as Isaac, child of the promise, God demands that we place back into his hands, always holding everything as a trust on behalf of the giver and possessor of all things. By faith, believing God had the outcome in his hands, in his sovereign hands, Abraham goes up the mountain. Now, again, we don't have time to hit these three. Let me just mention them and then we'll close. Just the three other people by faith. Look at verse 20. So, Abraham's a man of faith, who's tested devotion and follows and, and, and obeys. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. Again, it's, it's about Isaac, his faith, his act of blessing his sons. Again, it's at the end of his life. Notice that. The story's in verse, uh, Genesis chapter 27. If you know the story, let me just really briefly, it's, it's a twisted, convoluted story, right? Uh, 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 Isaac loved Esau, Rebekah loved Jacob, Esau firstborn. Nobody trusted God through the whole situation, right? Isaac's getting ready to die. Rebekah and 
uh, Isaac get this concocted plan to bring in food because Isaac wants to bless his children. And Isaac loves Esau. So Rebecca and Isaac get together and like, let, let, let's bring him food, the food that Esau loves to cook for him, and we'll make believe you're Esau. But mom, I don't, I, I'm not hairy. He's a hairy dude. He's a, he's a gamer. All right, I got some, let's, let's get some skins of an animal. We'll, we'll crazy glue it on your body. And you go in and make believe it's him. Nobody's trusting God. Isaac's blind. Eats the food, tastes good. Come here, son. Rubs his arm, his fake skin on his body. Smells it. It's like, oh, you sound like my other son, but I, if you, okay, Esau. And blesses him, right? You know the story. Convoluted. There's nobody good in that story. <laughs> it just reeks of all kinds of just not being faithful, not trusting in God, malicious, conniving. And you think, well, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. When did that happen? There must have been a time. Again, we're not judging them. There must have been a time when the blessing was given. It came a point when Isaac repented and embraced what God has said. And the author is pointing out, he's not perfect. There's a lot of things about this whole situation that stinks, but there was a time in which he had faith and blessed them. Verse 21, by faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Again, the story goes with the younger serving the older. The older serving the younger, excuse me. And Jacob blesses his sons. You know the story in Genesis 48. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Joseph's faith, as you will end here, was twofold. I want you to see this in this passage. First, he believed God was going to bring the children out of Israel, right? They're in Egypt. At the end of his life, he makes mention of the exodus. God promised to bring us out. And second, don't leave me here. I'm dying. Got all these people at the end of their life, persevering to the end, having faith. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, don't leave me here. God will, I'm dying, but God will bring you out of here. He said he would. Don't leave my bones here. Dig me up and take me with you. I don't want to be in a pagan land buried. And you can see the scene as they're leaving. There's the bones of Joseph leading the crowd out of Egypt to the promised land. What a great scene. In each of these cases, the patriarchs look forward to God fulfilling a promise that was not fulfilled in their lifetime. Even at the end of their life, they persevered, believed that God would be faithful to his promise. So family, let me ask you this. Do you desire God and his ways and his promises more than any other treasure in this life? Are you willing to believe that he can and will honor your faith in the gospel, your obedience that flows from the gospel, and be unashamed to call you his God. Call himself your God. Do you trust, listen, do you need this morning to trust God in the midst of whatever circumstances you're facing today? Not knowing what the future holds, but know him who holds the future. And just, Surrender to the unseen, trusting in who God is. 
Do you need to rest in the finished work of Christ this morning, knowing that because of Christ, God is not against you, but God is for you? Do you need today to put your faith in Christ and that his love for you, his desire for you to be with him in eternity led him to the place of taking on flesh, to live that perfect life, to die an atoning death, to be buried in the grave and three days rise from the dead so that all who place their faith in him can be called children of God, be reconciled to God. What is it this morning that God is calling you to to believe and to trust in him this morning? Do so. Because in the gospel, in the gospel, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, God is for you. He's not against you. Let's pray. Father, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, speak to our hearts. What promise have you given us that we need to hold on to? What, what is it that we need to trust you with today? Help us to do that. Help us to know of your love and of your grace and of your mercy. Help us today to place our faith in your son, the Lord Jesus, who willingly gave his life and died in an atoning death and will come again and bring us to the place of eternal glory. Lord, what is it today that we need to trust in your word? The promises you've made. God, we pray as we respond now, singing, praying, worshiping you, that you would strengthen our faith today. In Jesus' name, amen. We will trust in God's word alone, where his perfect will is known. Our traditions sift like sand, while his truth forever stands. Let's worship together and trust him as a family.